Welcome to the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. With me today is Terry Van Gelder, President at AGT Technologies. Thank you very much for joining me today, Terry. You're welcome. Please be All right, before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review. Finally, if you want to reach the podcast, you can reach me at david at cannabisequipmentnews.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Finally, recently came to my attention that some people think this is just a podcast, not a website. You can reach more information at cannabisequipmentnews.com. It's real. I swear. All right. So, I was looking at your profile and you have more than 40 years of experience at AGT. How have you been doing this for 40 years? <laughs> well, it's a, you know, a combination of my background, which is all in agriculture. Uh, and with the agriculture uh, background, both in dairy and row crop farming, which we have a uh, family farm still in Southwest Iowa, which grain farms, but I got into the grain handling systems, drying system, building systems, and then moved out here to California and spent 40 years in the construction industry, basically build everything from, you know, commercial, industrial, medical, uh, you name it. And my last eight years was with the Department of Defense building aircraft hangars. And then uh, along came the greenhouse market. And here we are now. So how did, you know, how did the greenhouse market come along? How did you find yourself in the cannabis market all of a sudden? Well, you know, I was uh, approached by a group out here in Coachella, California, and they said, hey, can you develop and design a greenhouse with your traditional commercial building system? And I said, well, yeah, sure. I'm, you know, quite capable of doing that. So I went to task with it and started getting it in it very heavily and realized that this is a great market to be in uh, and discontinued my uh, business within the Department of uh, Defense, which was aircraft hangars and, uh, you know, and dealing with their energy codes uh, and transferred all that, you know, uh, technology, especially with the Department of Defense over to this design. So, you know, it, I was asked to participate. So now we have a system that answers all their, all their problems uh, within the interior of the building. So what was the original commercial building system that uh, it was based off of? Is it sort of a, a modular, um, I don't want to say cookie cutter, but um, can you tell me a little bit about the building system? Right. Well, it's the same system that we use to build aircraft hangars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the same building system that you go into Home Depot, Lowe's, Costco, any of those. That's a commercial building system. And so, you know, we don't use greenhouse framing. That allows us to go any height, any width, any length, uh, and build anywhere. So these are Dade County rated, meaning that's a hurricane rating. And so you can put that, you know, one of the buildings we designed was 207 mile an hour wind load. You can't do that with a traditional greenhouse to be scattered from here to next year uh, if it got hit with that kind of wind load. So, um, you know, back to you. I mean, that's pretty much, uh, you know, the commercial building system is just that. So, you know, we can go into the details of uh, how this building is constructed and how it answers every problem that, you know, exists uh, in the indoor market. Um. Before we get into those details, what was it that you finally made the decision to get out of the hangar business with the Department of Defense and go full into cannabis? Well, it's the the market was there. And, you know, when I designed this, of course, I put it under patent pending uh, protection as well, because uh, no one's ever done what we've done with the system. And I'm going, look, this this is something that, you know, will take off because everything that they have a problem with has been addressed and resolved uh, from, you know, condensation to energy. So uh, I figured it'd just take right off, but 
you know, here you always get a pushback because it's a new product. So that's what we deal with is the pushback on a new product. And we can get into that, how we address that, you know, down the road. Okay. Um, when you talk about getting into some of those details, what is it that you're doing that no one's ever done before? Well, the, the, the greenhouse system, when I initially designed it, I submitted it to the, um, uh, Thomas Edison Foundation under energy and sustainability. And it wound up coming home with a gold medal and Dow Chemical Company was second and Johnson Mechanical Controls was third. And those are both international companies. So in it of itself, uh, you have the professional credentials already. Mm-hmm. But to uh, you know, to explain what the difference is between this and every other greenhouse on the planet is that as previously mentioned, we start with a commercial frame. So the roof on this system is almost flat. So we put a ceiling system in here. So what we wind up with is the exact same windows that you have in your office building. It's a dual membrane system. So you have an outer uh, wall and roof, and then you go to the inside, use the same framing, you line the entire inside with an interior wall panel, and then you put a ceiling system in it. What that does is completely encapsulate the entire steel structure. So that means now you have a, just like a dual pane window. So it's insulated. So we have, we have our values that are six times what any greenhouse company has because of the dual membrane system. And that gives it, uh, we brought this to the California Energy Commission as well, and Energy Solutions, who wrote the new California regulations. And this system uh, far exceeds uh, all of their regulations uh, that are required for energy. So you have the insulation value of the outside panel, and the insulation value of the inside panel, and then you get the dead air space. So that creates a dynamic that the cold cannot penetrate that because what we do inside there uh, is that we run that that air cavity and it runs to be about you know 30 inches deep on the wall and the roof is the same and it can exceed, you know, it can get up to four foot deep. So in that air chamber, what we do is we run 100 degree air, dry air all the time. That, what that does is now takes and gives our internal panel and outside panel 100 degree temperature at all times. That means no condensation will form on these panels, not on the ceiling or on the wall panel. So you know, that's what sets it apart from everybody else. So the dual membrane system in that of itself, and we haven't even got into the cram generator, how we get this to net zero, but that gives you an eight or gives you a 50 to 80% energy savings based on the insulation value alone, because you're five times the insulation value than any other greenhouse is. Plus, you know, you're not, you now have completely even temperatures because you have a ceiling in it. A traditional greenhouse is a jagged roof system. So you're going to have a jagged air temperature because it follows the roof line. See, like any commercial building, you got a ceiling in it. And how that's designed on HVAC systems is simply length, width, and by ceiling height, that gives you an exact amount of cubic feet of air that you're uh, conditioning. And the ceiling holds the temperature level. So that's the major difference. And that also this system is a clean room operation because of that. So you have the interior wall and interior ceiling and you regulate that temperature so you don't get any condensation, but it's a clean room. So you have an airlock actually to access the uh, greenhouse so you don't bring any uh, airborne viruses or any pests into it. It's an air exchange, not super complicated, but it's just like any other scientific lab that you go through, you go through an air exchange and then you uh, access the greenhouse. So, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a couple other, uh, since we're on the interior air, we use another, uh, an air sterilizer on the interior air. So what we do, it's a military air sterilizer. 
So it kills all plant and human airborne pathogens, virus, et cetera, et cetera. So what you're doing now is you're now you're growing in a pure environment. So the air is completely pure. Plus with that system, we have what we call climate match. Uh, climate match means it will go to any location in the world, set up sensors. It'll pick up whatever atmospheric pressures, gases, and sunlight on a year cycle. We will come and plug that into the system. It will replicate that exactly inside this greenhouse because see it's sealed the roofer none it does not open up and one of the big things about the air sterilizers are one of the big issues with cannabis is the odor so this is a sealed system but the air sterilizers themselves neutralize 90 percent of the cannabis odor so you don't have any essentially 10 percent of odor inside the greenhouse that you would actually uh, you know, be inhaling. So, you know, that, you know, it, it, it covers that in this system, uh, also complies with the FDA pharmaceutical manufacturing regulations that no greenhouse on the planet does except this greenhouse. And the reason it does is because it has a clean room interior. So what we do is it, it's the same regulations that bear Pfizer, Merrick, Johnson & Johnson, and all the rest of those guys have to comply with. When they manufacture a pharmaceutical product, it's got to be done in a clean room. In fact, they don't even allow you to have lights hanging down from the ceiling because they uh, consider those uh, a magnet for dust in, during, if you get condensation, that would drip down into uh, you know, your crop. And that's, what, that's the problem with traditional greenhouses. But mm -hmm. when the temperature drops to 40, 50, 40, it's physics. They mm -hmm. will condensate, period. There is no way to stop it. And that, you have a dirty frame up there, you know, they may look clean, but they're not. Uh, that's where it's just like moss. Uh, that's where your mold and, you know, your, your fungi and bacteria starts up there because it's hot and humid and you don't see it and it drips off the frame during condensation and it gets into your crop. And how many articles do we have to see about mold uh, before they get, you know, it's, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's everywhere. Is that yeah. problem? Uh, so we eliminate that. Mm -hmm. So that is all of that makes sense to me. And then you tell me that you're still getting a lot of pushback from the industry. Where's the pushback coming from? It's new technology. See, they ask, well, you know, where's your facility so we can go look at it? And I go, look, we haven't built our first one. We had uh, one on the books and that was in Missouri. And then they did not get their license. That was another fiasco. Mm. Uh, but we have a couple other ones, you know, on the books again. Uh, but, you know, they just go, how do we know it's going to work? And I'm going, you have to look, this is how I answer that. I go, if we were to walk in your old school greenhouse and we were to put a full interior ceiling and a full interior wall system, would it work? Do dual pane windows work? Do they insulate? Yes, it's exactly the same thing. Does, is, is the sun not going to shine through that second layer? Of course not. Does the sun still shine through your window? Yes, it does. So it... You try to put it in most simplistic terms, but the bottom line is they want a, a wheel to kick mm. <laughs> at the mm -hmm. end of the day. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, uh, David, the thing that I'm telling you here is that everything that we have done in this system, including the underground system, which we can touch on a little bit here in a minute if you want, everything we're doing in this system has been done in the commercial and industrial market. The dual membrane system, we've done that in the commercial market. It's been done in uh, data centers. And everything we're doing, the only difference between that and what we do is the, the ceiling, the panels are clear instead mm -hmm. of opaque. That's the only difference. And all of this is stamped off by registered engineers. They're not going to put their name on something that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there we are. So, uh, you know, back to you on, you know, on the system. What, uh, you know, if 
you've been doing it eight years and uh, you're still working on getting the full, like your first uh, build. How have you persisted in the industry, you know, amidst that, that pushback? Well, we, it was introduced in two, uh, 2019. Oh, okay. Okay. So the system is from 2019. Okay. Gotcha. We introduced it then and we just started putting it out there. You know, we didn't, gotcha. you know, do anything. And then we had a customer come in uh, that was going to be into the new Missouri market. And, you know, that was brought in by a contractor and, you know, they signed a contract with us to build this and then they didn't get their license. So, you know, I'm persistent. The system works. I stake mm-hmm. my life on it. There's nothing that won't work. Uh, everything is there. And, you know, it's the same thing, you know, people, then they, people go, well, gee, how does this work in the wintertime? You guys got a flat roof. Well, it's real simple. All we do is kick the heat up to 150 degrees and the snow melts on contact. You know, it's done by a sensor system. So you never have snow on it. That's why we use a one, a quarter on 12 roof slope, because you don't have any snow buildup. Even if you had snow buildup, uh, it would still support the weight. But that's not the point. The point is you still want the sunlight. So it just simply melts on contact. And I guess because it's a different animal, you know, I feel like you could just say it's been successful. Like there's been success in the military industry, medical industry, pharmaceutical industry. It's going to work in cannabis. (laughs) Well, I tell them the same thing, David. It's even they go, okay, well, the bottom line is that's the pushback you always get. How do we know it's going to work because you haven't built one? Then I say, look, okay, if the first example doesn't work with us going in your greenhouse, let's walk over into the other facility, which is an indoor grow. Okay, what is an indoor grow? An indoor grow, now you're growing with lights. So I said, you have an inner wall and an inner ceiling, right? Does that work? Well, yeah, it works. Well, we're doing nothing different. I said, we have an inner wall system. And a ceiling system, exactly what an indoor grow is, except that the ceiling panels are uh, clear and not opaque like they are. And even in their system, when we do an indoor grow, we do it exactly the same way, dude, because here's what happens in those grows. If you take a, like, for example, if you just take a metal building and you go in there, you build it. And then you go in there and you build out these walls with steel studs and roof with steel studs. Okay, now you still get leakage up into that air cavity and that's moist air. And it will still condensate on the structure and drop down on your ceiling system. You know, where this, with our indoor system, again, the way we do it is we utilize the uh, exterior frame system. So we put that exterior wall in. It's not the exterior, it's the interior wall, but at the exterior perimeter. And then we go in and put the ceiling in. We do the exact same thing because we run dry air now in that air cavity again at the wall and roof and ceiling. And again, regulate the temperature so you don't have condensation on an indoor grow. So it eliminates your condensation. Now you got to heavily, and even in that building, what we do is we put skylights in there insulated skylights with blackout systems on the skylights so you can supplement your light even in an indoor grow so no that was a sorry that was uh the supplementation was i was interested in because you know i hear a lot about people that love free photons in this industry right uh so i was wondering does are you sacrificing anything with the like double layered clear roof system and does it need to be supplemented with leds or other lighting systems inside no, it all depends on your location again. It isn't any different. You still have the same exact light transmission, see? Mm-hmm. And that's the difference because, look, it, you're not, it's the same as your window. You're simply putting another pane on there. The transmission value of the light is still the same. So you don't sacrifice anything, but you gain the insulation value of the wall and roof system. And, mm-hmm. you know, another thing that we do in there. Uh, you know, in our trip down to the FDA, because we've had this at the FDA as well, um, they, that once this hits federal legalization, of course, this conversation was off record because it wasn't, it's not legalized at the federal level, but mm-hmm. they were addressing it based on current 
drug manufacturing regulations. So the, the question was brought up, okay, can those screens you guys are using in there, those are another bacteria fungi magnet. They are not going to allow those screens in the room itself. So we designed our system where the blackout system is above the ceiling so that it operates up there and it is not in the room as a contagion uh, magnet uh, that will be you know, disqualified for you to get the FDA approval. So we put that system above the ceiling system. And here's another thing, you know, uh, which brings up the screens. So you always have uh, light pollution. Now you can regulate, you could take care of that with the blackout system, but we've also have what's called a natural cloud cover. What the natural cloud cover is, again, you got to remember now, hey, we got this air chamber in there. It's 30 inches deep at the wall and, you know, 40, 50 inches at the ceiling. So what we do in there, we got that dry air in there so you don't have condensation, but we also have a dry pharmaceutical grade hazing unit. So what we do is, if you will, a Halloween fog machine, but it's anything but that. Hmm. This, this lasts for up to four hours. So when the sun is too intense, perhaps let's say you're in a desert now and it's 120 degrees, okay, and the sun is beating up on the plants and you're starting to get some, some damage because of that. Well, what we do, instead of using screens, we have light sensors in there that once it reaches that point, the sensors kick on the hazers and fog out the entire roof and walls. It takes all of about two, three minutes. That's how fast it, it works. And so now you just simply diffuse the sun. It's like going to the beach when it's a cloud cover day. So you simply turn these hazers on and get it to the, the, you know, the, the density that you want, and then it turns off. And so now you won't damage your plant you know, with the high sun. Plus, it also, you know, adds another layer of insulation uh, yeah. inside there when we use the hazing. So, you know, it's another thing, you know, the, the blackout curtains, the way they do those now, it's just not going to fly uh, once they get into, uh, hey, you got to be in a clean room operation, just like Bayer, Pfizer and the rest. They're not going to allow it. It simply has to be a clean room. What are these blackout curtains and screens that you're talking like? uh that are you, those are used for cover when the sun's too intense? No, the blackout screens in the cannabis are used at the last growing cycle where they completely black out the room. Okay. So the room is completely blacked out and that way it, the plant is manipulated into producing, you know, the flower prematurely because uh, I think it's fall. Mm. So that's why they use the blackout curtains. So the rooms are, you know, basically pitch black uh, right. for uh, a certain period of time to get that plant to completely flower out, so that uh, you know it shortens up the you know, growing cycle. And you're able to accomplish that with that hazing. Uh, the the hazing uh, is close. Uh, mm. You know, and we haven't done any studies on hey, the people that are using blackout curtains, it's completely blackout. But in the real world, when you're talking about nighttime, and that's what we're trying to duplicate here, you still have celestial lighting in the, in the sky. Mm. So there is a, there is a, you know, some lighting come through and, you know, we haven't taken it to task yet. Um, once uh, the first facility is built, we'll go ahead and you know, it will be uh, tested in a small area to see. But, you know, from what we from what we see, we can get it black enough with the hazing because it's it's like smoke. Mm. Uh, you, know, you can just you can't see your hand in front of it. Uh, so, yeah, you're, you're going to be able to get it to that level with it. But we just need to run it down the, you know, right. the, the trial first before we say that 100 percent. It's harder to imagine because nobody smokes indoors anymore. <laughs> I know, but again, you're not exposed to it, you know. Yeah. The oh no, no, yeah. I just mean in terms of like how the how opaque it can actually get. Yeah, right. I mean, it's uh, 
but you know, it's, it's just like driving in fog. I mean, you just, Mm -hmm. when it gets so thick and it can get thicker and thicker and thicker, you just can't see, uh, Mm -hmm. at all. There's the more it goes, the more intense it gets, the more dense it gets, the less you're going to be seeing through it. And again, it's like when the smoke shows up, when we have fires out here in California, it blocks out the sun, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's how we use that. Uh, you know, and that way you don't have any screens to break. And like in the food industry, uh, you know, they have like four different levels of screens that they use. But again, you don't have to do that because all you do is set the sensors to the diffusion level you want. The hazers kick on automatically and it's done. Uh, you know, it's just that simple. You know, there's no mechanics to it whatsoever. What is the underground system that you had mentioned earlier? Well, the underground system is, uh, you know, they're, like I said, again, here, the underground system is not something per se new because, uh, you know, they've been putting furnaces in the basement for a long time. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what we're doing is there's three chambers. So you have a heating chamber, you have a AC chamber. It's a basement, the full length of, they're basically a 10 by 10 chamber 10 foot by 10 foot by the length of the greenhouse so they run essentially under the center and then we have what we call a natural earth air system and that's the real energy saver in the system because the other ones are operating off of you know energy Uh, Mm -hmm. but natural earth side of it we run a series of pipes in the soil because see the soil runs at 55 degree temperature at all times so we just simply run the piping below the frost line and and the piping's in a looping system and then it has a coolant in it so the coolant comes back at 55 degrees and it goes to the top of the radiator we have our eight foot by eight foot radiators and that coolant goes through it we have low speed aviation fans behind it so that entire chamber is at 55 degrees so the mixing See, there's one big fan system. We put the air out at anywhere from 120 to 200 miles an hour. You say, well, that's going to, you know, tear up the plants. No, it doesn't. And I'll explain how that works. So we take that 55 degree temperature, it goes through a mixing fan. So if it needs hot air, it pulls from the heating chamber. If it needs conditioned air, humidity or coolness, if you overrun the natural cooling and natural or cooling system that's always running at 55 degrees in there. So you, that is really cooling your greenhouse all the time. But when I get to the airflow, the way we do this is it goes up into a tube directly from underground straight up into the greenhouse. So you don't have it being transferred for two, 300 feet through ductwork. It's straight up into the greenhouse. Now what happens is it goes all the way up to the ceiling. Now you gotta remember, we have a ceiling system and our lights, either they're either right down on top of the growing system, we have our own growing system as well, but either they're right on top of the growing system or they're recessed into the ceiling cavity, just like a canister lighting in your office or for say a T-bar grid system in your office. The light isn't hanging down, it's, it's flush with the right. ceiling. And that's how our system is built. So now what we do is we run this air up at the ceiling level. Let's just say the ceiling level is 18 feet. And of course your plants are down there at six feet. So the air is blowing across right at the top of the ceiling. So the air comes out and anywhere from 120, depending on the width of the room to 230 miles an hour. And it shoots across the room to the opposite side to your intake. Now we move over a little further and we reverse that. So now the air is coming from the opposite side of the room and coming to this side. And what that does is it creates a vortex so that you get your circular motion because the air is flowing at different ways. And that's replicating what it is in the real world out in a field. The wind is is constantly changing direction and wind is great on plants because it strengthens it. So 
you know, down at the plant level, it's not 200 miles an hour. It's a nice gentle breeze down there, but it creates a twisting motion and a vortex. So that, you know, is good for your plants. But again, you know, the lights have to be recessed because that is creating an atmospheric flow, just like we have atmospheric flows in the atmosphere. The wind is, you know, creating, you know, vortexes up in our atmosphere. Well, we're just recreating that down here in the greenhouse. So, you know, like that, that really kind of covers your, uh, your underground system because the rest of it, it just, it's a matter of locating the mechanical system underground. So here's another thing we do with that. Okay, so we, I'm getting into why we use electric heat. Everything is electric, okay? But when we get to uh, the HVAC system, you know, they're putting off heat all the time. They, the fans are running, they're blowing heat. So we take that heat and, and we capture that heat because a lot of these greenhouses are in, you know, already conditions, you know, yeah. Minneapolis, uh, you know, you know, any Michigan, I mean, you're in the snow area. So uh, I was raised in Wisconsin, so I know 50 oh. below. So uh, it's a matter of, that's where we dairy, but it's a matter of, hey, take that heat. Why, why are you setting the units outside and just blowing it into the atmosphere? You put it down in, the, in a confined area and you simply recapture that. It, all that happens is it's transferred over to the heating chamber. So when you do need heat, you just draw from the heating chamber, you know, and that goes back to the mixing fan again, which mixes natural cooling air, HVAC dehumidified air and heat. So uh, however you do it, it's all drawn from those chambers. That way you don't have any AC units on the roof. Uh, when a greenhouse, you can't do that anyways, uh, but you don't have any units sitting outside. And it, one thing I'll point out on HVAC systems, uh, now I'll turn it back over to you again, is that we don't use like big 200 ton units sitting outside the building. No more would we put them underground, even if we could. Each each growing room has its own HVAC system dedicated because you're recirculating that air in that room. And if you're growing different strains of cannabis, you're going to cross pollinate. If you run it through a master HVAC system, you're eventually going to cross pollinate. No filtering systems, hundred percent. And in our filtering, filtering system, because it's a damp, uh, you got, you know, high humidity. We use an oil bath fan and an oil laden filter system so that the filter system will not, uh, you know, will not uh, degrade itself to where it won't work anymore. So it's kind of like these high performance filter systems on cars, you know, they, they're, they're an oil bath uh, or an oil laden filter system that keeps your, that keeps your bugs out. And it, and what the oil does is you can put in these filtering systems, you can put like, a, uh, a, if you want to call it a pesticide or a, a bacteria killing agent in this filtering system, you can in the center of it. That way, all the air going through passes through. It will kill all bacteria going through this filtering system by itself. So, you know, the, the one last thing, and you know, open it back up for some questions is going to be the cram generator. Uh, but if you have some other questions uh, on this so far, you can let me know. Uh, the question I had next was where in Wisconsin? Where's Wisconsin? No, where in Wisconsin were you raised? Oh, uh, uh, well, we live close to River Falls, which is a college town, which is where we always hung out. Uh, okay. Uh, but we were raised in Baldwin, Wisconsin, which is, uh, you know, outside of St. Paul, about 30 miles. No, that's, uh, I'm based out of Madison. That's why I ask. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, south. <laughs> um, how long would it take to build one of these uh, structures? Well, there's just like any other structure uh, now with the, you know, any commercial structure. So you basically, you know, you wind up with your, your, the same procedure that we go through on any commercial project. So you go through normally about a three month design period mm -hmm. uh, and it goes to the city, whatever municipality, you got a couple months uh, burnt there. 
And so then you can, uh, you get about five months into design and permitting, and then you start construction. So depending on the size of the unit, but you're usually looking at anywhere from an eight to 10 month, uh, you know, build cycle. Mm. Uh, again, depending on the size and how complex, uh, you know, the growing systems are, because you got to factor those people uh, coming in once the shell is complete, you know, then they got to move in. So there are timelines you know affect the overall construction but just the just the shell itself yeah you're gonna yeah i mean you can get under fast track stuff like we had to do for the military and you know (laughs) you can you can bring it down to six months if you want to but you know it costs you more money to do that at the end of the day you mentioned uh some of the projects that you currently have uh moving right now are you going to be at all affected by the materials shortages that are kind of hitting a lot of companies? Um, yes and no. What we wound up doing is, uh, you know, as uh, the company that we uh, worked with uh, on NDAs is Blue Scope Steel, and they are an international company, and they uh, own Barker Pruden buildings and Butler buildings. And we were using their system uh, mostly because we the joist system that they had, it's a galvanized joist system. It's bolted. It's not welded. It's it's a very nice, clean, straight deal. And, you know, <laughs> they called me up, not called me up. They invited me out to dinner here, uh, you know, here in San Diego County. We went out and, you know, laid this bomb on me that, well, we can't deliver any buildings for a year. Well, I go, well, that's not really going to work here because if we, you know, we're trying to get this thing out there, we're having enough problems with it, right? I'll tell them it's going to be a year now. So what we wound up doing, when I submitted this thing to, uh, you know, the patent office, I did uh, spend money and do a uh, design on not only the framing system, but also on the joy system which is a similar joy system to what blue scope steel has but um it's our own design mm. and so what happened with that is it wound up getting put into play uh, a lot sooner than i ever expected to so we wound up finding a fabricator in phoenix who can roll form our joy system and they're only out about uh, 12 to 14 weeks which is well within line and they have plenty of material and then with the framing system, instead of using their specialized Blue Scope Steel specialized system, we strictly went to a uh, off-the-shelf structural steel system, just like mm-hmm. you would find in Home Depot and Costco and all the rest of them. So now we're using standard shapes that are used in every facet of construction. Uh, there's a beam size that you pull off the shelf. They're, you know, they're not, I wouldn't call them plentiful. Uh, but at least now we have the option of going anywhere in the United States and have it fabricated uh, at, a, at a local structural steel shop versus, uh, you know, having everything fabricated by Blue Scope Steel, which now can't. I mean, they, uh, you know, like big companies like Amazon uh, and big companies like Home Depot, they bought up the market. Uh, joy system so i mean you just you have if you want joy it's just a year if you way you get around this is make your own which is you know what we did so uh you know we're okay now on that mm-hmm. uh you know we do have to hunt around a little bit for the structural steel but not for the joys the joy system we got pinned down so we're good on that but you know it, you can get it uh you just gotta hunt around uh to find the you know the that's why we, before we even st- start to design, our engineering department will search out the shapes that they want and see what the availability is. And if we have to adjust the size, maybe we have to go up a size. Maybe we have to go down a size and reinforce it. So, you know, it is, you know, you, you got to pull out all the stops. Uh, and, you know, I've been in construction this long. This is, you know, a no brainer. I mean, what we have to do, you have to do. So, uh, it's just the way the world is working right now. The renderings look beautiful, but how close to those renderings 
will the actual structure be? That's an exact match. Yeah. Uh, you know, we could we could show you, like I say, uh, we could go show you building after building after building. It looks just exactly like that. The mm. only difference is, is the roof in the back area is clear and yeah. it's almost a flat roof. So you don't even notice it really. I mean, the walls on the outside, we run the walls up, uh, insulated panel up to seven foot six as a security wall. And then from there, we roll up with the... Um, you know, transparent panel, but see, th that's the whole thing. Even this affects the cannabis market because here's the model that we can use with this greenhouse, which a lot of people haven't thought about. And I've approached Amazon with this bills business model, but you can take this greenhouse, see, because it is, it's not a greenhouse. It's a commercial building functioning as a greenhouse. So I can take this to any municipality in any state and I can build that right next to your Vaughn's, Ralph's, Albertson's, Starbucks. I can go to any retail center and build that building. And you can cultivate and you can process and you can retail all in one location. Because see, Amazon's getting into the, it's called Amazon Fresh. They have about eight stores built. And of course, there's this food. It's not cannabis. But on the cannabis side, you can do exactly the same thing. And guess what that does? You eliminate buying the cannabis, you're producing the cannabis, you're processing it, you eliminate the brokers, you eliminate the transportation, you eliminate all the labor of transportation, getting on the trucks, getting it off the trucks and stocking it. So it's a business model that works. And, you know, it, it, the food group, especially, I mean, there's some of them starting to do it somewhat, but if you're going to, you know, you're going to, you want to cut all this out, uh, you're going to need to cultivate on site and with this building you can because it is accepted by all building departments because it's a commercial building it's not a greenhouse they're not going to allow you to do that with a greenhouse mm -hmm. but you know because they're energy efficient in fact uh our meeting up there in california energy commission at title 24 which is title 24 is all your regulations that pertain to the building energy usage and that brings in the insulation value of the walls and it's the insulation value of the roof and the rooms and you know how much power you're actually going to use for this facility and they they just call them gross violators anybody mm -hmm. you know i mean and in what he told me up there is that california is going to discontinue gas hookups and they're not going to be able to use gas anymore on new construction and of course California does have these brand new regulations now. They just posted their effective January 1st of this year. They, they get my year grace. So you're going to get until January 1st of next year, 2023. But HPS is a completely outlawed. You can't use them at all. And uh, you have to have a certain R value now for the walls and you have to have a certain R value now for the roof. That's why I'm saying we exceed that by four times of what they're asking for because we're using this dual membrane system. So it's all about energy. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a clean room operation and it's also uh, energy uh, conservation is uh, the entire uh, building system is with that in mind. I mean, I've heard a lot about companies striving towards vertical integration, very little of it all in one building. Yeah, I mean it's just, I mean that's that's why you don't have to be that big. You're gonna all you're gonna do your research and find out how much you're gonna you know what the anticipated sales of that area and you build it accordingly, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's cannabis or whether it's fresh greens. So, I mean again, each room is broken up. You break this thing up, you know people wind up you know they get, personally it's a mistake as far as I'm concerned, my opinion of building several greenhouses, little or greenhouses. With this building, you can build just like Amazon does. You can build 5 million square feet of greenhouse if you want. See, and then just, you just break up all the little, all the rooms into, you know, what you would consider individual greenhouses. So uh, it, there's no limitation on this building system and there's no height limitation. So it's the same system we use aircraft hangers. So, you know, those go 120 feet tall. You want this building 120 feet tall? No problem. Do you want it to resist 200 mile an hour winds? No problem. 
again, the uh, system, the uh, transparent system that we're using is class A fire rate. It won't burn. It is snow loaded. It is, uh, it's um, uh, hurricane rated Dade County, as I mentioned earlier, and it's impact rated at 100 mile an hour with a one inch uh, hailstone. That's a two to one safety factor. So before this would ever go through that membrane system, the outer membrane, it would have to be doing 200 plus to get through. And you gotta remember, this is a dual membrane system. So even if it took, even if it damaged the outer membrane, the interior wall and interior ceiling is still protecting your crop. If you get 60 mile an hour winds on traditional glass greenhouse, it's, it's gonna be laying in your lap. They will go, they, they can't take that wind load. So, and not only that, but, you know, glass uh, is, uh, produces a lot of heat. You know, it's made from sand. So it's like a rock. It's going to radiate a ton of heat. So, you know, that pretty much kind of covers that piece of it. What is the cram generator? Well, the cram is the key piece of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. So when I went to the uh, California Energy Commission, uh, they mentioned that they're going to discontinue gas hookups. Okay. Because initially I had a lot of the system designed in gas mm. uh, coming from uh, the grain farm operation in Iowa. A lot of the, in fact, all of the grain drying is done with gas and they have some very efficient units. So I took that technology and was employing it into this greenhouse. When well, I went up there and he said that, and I go, well, you know what? California is a big market. I'm going to need to go back to the drawing board here and eliminate gas and make this whole system electric. So what I did is I went back and I used uh, my background and knowledge because in the farming community, we use generators a lot. Uh, and we've had those apart a million times, as long as the same thing as electric motors are used everywhere in the farming uh, community. So. I took the knowledge that I already had and advanced that. And then I studied jet technology. And what I did is reconfigured the electric motor and generator into the same configuration as a jet engine. I am still use it not doesn't use fossil fuel. Mm. What the system does is it's unitized on the inside. And this is what the, you know, the patent application is all about. We took a traditional electric, CRAM stands for counter-rotating alternator motor. So the generator and motor operate in counter-rotation like this. And we can individualize the plates so that the plates on the inside are rotating at 6,000 RPM. So that the face value of that is 12,000 RPM because it's counter-rotating. And what that also does is it counter-rotates the torque because one's creating a torque to turn something, the other one is has a lot of resistance of turning it to create your power. So we create the counter-rotating to offset the torque so the unit doesn't want to flip over from the torque. It's just like a combustion engine that, you know, the torque of the engine when you take off wants to lift the, you know, the left wheel off the ground, like they do in a semi. It creates that kind of torque. So you have to counter-react uh, that. But what the cram generator does is runs 365, 24-7. What that will do is it, it, it doubles the output of what it consumes. So if you use, if your facility, if, uh, and of course it is designed according to how much power is at the site. So when I, when I say that, you know, some sites don't have nearly as much power as other sites do. So you have to boost that power, not boost it, but you have to duplicate it, you know, to have enough power to power your facility. So what happens with that is that if this unit can and your, and your uh, power to the site is enough to power this unit so that the unit, the motor side is using uh, 4,000 kilowatts, the uh, generator side will put out 8,000 kilowatts. So you're doubling the power system. You're doubling the power. So now if, let's just say your facility uses 7,000 kilowatts. So you, you're burning four 
with this unit and you're getting eight kilowatts out the back, that means you're, you're running your facility on this cram generator and the extra thousands going back into the grid again. So you're only using so much out of the grid, but you're putting back into the grid and you're powering your whole facility. Plus this operates on DC. It, it puts out both DC 483 phase and 243 phase. And the reason we use DC is because it's so much more efficient and that's what we use to power the, the uh, unitized motor uh, components is DC because it's like in Tesla's cars. The DC, this is why you see Tesla's beaten thousand or you know 800 horsepower Hellcats because DC is immediate where with a combustion engine, it takes them to get to 6,000 RPM to develop that kind of power. So with DC, you have instant torque and the torque curve is way higher than AC. So we use uh, DC, not only that, but this particular system will also, because it's producing DC, we can run the HVAC systems on DC. So we can get the, we get to see the system on net zero. You're using no power. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you're using power, but you're using the power that's there to create your own and then put back in the system again, what you're not using. But the DC can also go to charge up your Tesla battery field in an event of a power failure. Now the CRAMS also has an optional uh, fossil fuel powered engine. And this, of course, this engine is not any engine that exists in the world today. It is an engine that will run any fuel. Uh, doesn't matter if it's gas, kerosene, biodiesel, diesel, LP, it will run. It has a injection system for both air and fuel, it regulates that. So you regulate the compression of the engine, but the crankshaft is a armature and the pistons are magnetic. So you use a polarity system that, you know, when you're using magnetics, they'll pull to each other and then they push each other away. So you use a reverse polarity system where the pistons go up and down, it sucks the piston to the top and then it pushes the piston down on reverse polarity. So this is a completely brand new engine. Again, this is new technology, but we're using existing combustion engine technology, but it's being completely refigured. It has no valves in it. So all that happens, a porting system. So all that happens is you put so much pressure in there, like diesel fuel, you need 18 and a half to go in compression to ignite the fuel. Well, with LP, you don't need anything like that. You need to be down in around four and a half to one, five to one. So again, we have a backup engine that can go on there, or it can be a standard diesel engine if you want to in a power failure, but you can also charge up a Tesla battery field and you can run off the Tesla battery field for five days if you uh, have a power failure. Have Oh, okay. Have you prototyped the cram generator yet? Or is that something that with the new building, you're going to have to create the generator as well. Right. It, it's going to go into the new building. We're under NDA with the military and they want the same thing, but you know, here we are, it's, it's going to cost a million dollars to build uh, this cram generator in that, in that configuration. Yeah. Have I built a small one that we know works? Yeah. We know that works. We just got to put it into a big form. So mm -hmm. I personally, I've spent, you know, $600,000. I've self-funded everything. Oh and goodness. so, you know, I'm getting to the point where either somebody buys this system and, you know, we're going to guarantee the system. I mean, the engineers are going to stamp this. It's backed by engineers. But at, at some point in time, if, uh, you know, we have to go the other route, we'll take a secondary source, uh, you know, an investment firm or a group that would like to invest in this technology and take them on as a, as a partner to build the first one. Uh, you know, so it's, but it's, it, look, we're using uh, traditional electric motor and power generating principles. It's just a complete reconfiguration of the interiors of the motor system. And if one of these uh, disc armatures fail, you have mm -hmm. 10 more that keep running. Mm -hmm. In a regular electric motor, the one barrel armature in there, if it shorts, it's done. You know, it mm -hmm. shuts off. And that's the reason for unitizing it on the inside and making it 
10 armatures instead of one. So if one fails, you still are, you still keep going. I found it really interesting, and I know that we're running short on time here, but I found it really interesting talking about how the building will mimic other climates. So do you see that as a selling point for maybe MSOs that have, you know, that want to run the exact same operation just in different markets? Or do you see that as more of a boutique thing where you can grow, you know, uh, you know, something from a tropical climate in Colorado? Well, it's kind of all of those. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know, it's it, it when you can replicate what goes on and, you know, the whole thing is, is the earth has some vibration. Uh, so that, you know, that's employed into our growing systems. We won't get into our growing systems. It's just in a nutshell, our growing systems are enclosed. There's no soil or no water exposed or in, they're enclosed. Each plant has a individual CO2. Uh, you know, and if we use a soil system and it's an injection system, it's not a drip. Uh, everything is injected right at the risk. But that just in a quick nutshell, plus it's enclosed. So we wind up with a climate. They're called climate tech tables, meaning that we create its own climate. It's in, it's uh, enclosed itself with clear panels. So we, we create whatever. We can put the blackout system right on the table. If you want to black out 20 tables, you can do 20 tables and not the whole building. So, um, you know, that's how our system operates on that. But, yeah, we can recreate any atmospheric, you know, you got uh, when you're talking about growing, you're talking about vibration, uh, you know, that the earth actually has. You're talking about soil temperatures and uh, you're talking about humidity, obviously. And of course, uh, there is barometric pressure. Mm. So in this greenhouse, we can regulate your pressure. See, because it's it's sealed. It's just like a dang balloon. You mm. know, it, you regulate how much pressure you want in there. So if you want to put a pretty high barometric pressure, which a lot of people believe in, you, you simply, you know, uh, cannot do that. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Uh, in a regular greenhouse because they're not sealed. Uh, yeah. And a lot of these guys, you know, the roofs open up on these things and it's like, why are you doing that? You're inviting every airborne contagion into your greenhouse and you're allowing every pest to come into your greenhouse. I just don't understand it at all. If you're growing poinsettias, that's one thing. But you're mm-hmm. growing, you're growing cannabis, especially medical. Mm-hmm. You don't want anything in there. Period. You want pure air. That's the reason for our air sterilizers. You don't want dirty air even in there, uh, which you can obviously get uh, airborne pathogens come in. That's why we have that, uh, you know, airlock actually to, to purge all that before you actually bring it in. So, yeah, it's uh, to answer that question, it's it's uh, it's really all the above. Uh, mm. And, you know, you can replicate that, you know, from there to here or vice versa. So, you know, like they're growing hops or they're growing grapes. You know, they say, you know, this wine comes from this place in Germany someplace and it's the only place you can grow. Well, you can replicate that. See, you just set your sensors up there and take a year cycle and input that into the control system. And that's exactly what you're going to get. There may be some modifications. You may have an unusual year or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the software system may have to be modified a little bit, but it, it, at the end of the day, it's you're basically just taking that information, plugging it into your control system, and it it does it all. You know, it just it's, not, it's just a software system. Do you ever get back to that family farm in Iowa? Oh yeah, I go back every year. You know, it's it's like traveling back in time. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> You know, it's a whole different life there. It's a whole different, uh, you know, way of looking at life there. Uh, you know, the rural people are, they are literally down to earth. Uh, and that's, that's how they live. I mean, you just, every, a lot of things, of course, everybody has contracts these days, but you know, it's a, it's a trusting community. And if there's someone there that's not trustworthy, they are known. 
Mm. <laughs> but uh, outside of that, um, yeah, I, I very much go with what we have river bottom land. So we go back and, you know, we do fishing and hunting back there. Uh, it's, it's always a nice change from, you know, the city streets. So I really enjoy that. Well, Terry, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to share this new technology with me. I really do appreciate it. You're welcome. I, it's just a uh, you know, way to uh, you know, try to get it to the right people. Uh, it, again, you can reach out to a lot of people, but you're maybe not always getting to the right people. So a platform like yours is uh, a great place for people to sit down when they have some time and actually listen to it uh, and uh, you know, pick up some points. Certainly ring true to them, especially the problems they have in greenhouses with uh, uh, condensation. It's a big killer. Well, thanks again, Terry. I really do appreciate your time, and I do see promising things for AGT Technologies going forward. Before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also do us a big favor by leaving us a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, to reach the podcast or suggest a potential interview subject, interview subject what am i doing there anyway if you think somebody that would be good on the podcast you know send me their info at david at cannabis equipment news.com all right terry again thank you i'm david manty this is the cannabis equipment news podcast and we'll see you next week thank you for listening to the cannabis equipment news podcast